but when you're up here, it is so cool <laughs> that literally the love is flowing from the east to the west, from the north to the south, and that's, that's the way it should be in the family of God, isn't it? So I want to celebrate Christ in you because he is alive in you and he's flowing through you, and uh, it's as we express love to one another that uh, it allows uh, that love to become evident. So thank you for being who you are in Christ. Uh, it's my deep honor and privilege uh, to today speak uh, the seventh message now, and this is the wrap-up message from the book of Philippians. But I want to uh, lay something out very, very clearly here, uh, is that with any series that we do, uh, it never ends. And I know that we've done series where you thought, this is never going to end. <laughs> uh, but, but seriously, every series that we do, the, the series is a focus. It's, it's a pointing to a, a central truth in God or a central uh, focus that God has in His Word, and, uh, and we focus on that, we walk through that together, but the goal is that we never leave it. That as we go through the series, the goal is that a seed is planted, and then that seed becomes part of our lives. And that focus, and you can look back over the series, some of the series that we've done, and some of them come right back to your mind. It's like prayer altars, worship, you know, the, the uh, overcoming, you know, the conquerors, being more than conquerors. Some of these things, again, that you can look back and you can see, yes, the seed was planted in my life when we went through that time of focus, but I didn't leave it. That seed has found good soil, and that seed has, has begun to grow and to, be, and to produce fruit in our, in our lives. So the goal is, again, that we never leave a series. We take it with us, and we keep building on the truth that God has deposited in our, in our lives, and it becomes part of our living. Uh, so today I have the privilege of sharing a message uh, called Contentment in Christ. Contentment in Christ. And what I would want to encourage you right now uh, to do is to ask God for a seed in this message today. That a seed of his truth would go into your being, that you would embrace it, and that you would commit to nurture that seed and allow it to grow. And that from that seed, new life will come in your life. Now, what happens for me, and it even happens for, for us as teachers, is that there can be this expectation within us that something radical has to happen in the service, that my life needs to do a 180 and there needs to be this breakthrough. And praise God, sometimes that happens. We've had that happen in many lives. I've had it happen in my life in a service where God just radically, literally hits me. I know it's a laser beam from God, and there's this radical change. Praise be to God. And that may happen for you today. I don't want to I don't want to limit your expectations, but I want you to, I want to encourage you to look for the seed. Look for that, and it, you know, Jesus said that it's just a, a, a faith the size of a, of a mustard seed will move mountains, and a small thing with God becomes a huge thing. So I want, I want to encourage you, look for the seed that God is planting in your life and commit to take it in, to receive it. Let it fall on fertile soil, and then commit to nurture it and watch how God will bring the increase. The things that God, maybe one small thing that God deposits in your life today, you're going to see fruit down the road, but be faithful to receive it. So what I'm going to do is just pray right now for all of us, even as I've spent time in preparing this message, as I deliver it, I'm, I'm asking God, give me that seed, plant that seed in me. So I want to ask you to just bow your heads with me, and let's commit this time to our Lord. Father, thank you so much, God, that you are here. God, I thank you that you've made the way for every single one of us to be in this place. God, for those that are sitting in the worship center, those that are in the cafes, God, those that are being ministered to and ministering in uh, Grace Kids and throughout this building, we thank you that you've made a way for every one of us to be here on this hill this morning. And God, I thank you that you've already been touching our lives. Lord, as we've lifted up the name of Christ in worship, and as we've committed this time to you, I thank you that you are already working and ministering to us and through us. God, right now we set aside this time, we ask, God, that personally each one of us would receive the seed that you desire to plant within us. God, maybe it's one word or one phrase, one truth, but God, I pray that you would give our hearts the ability to receive, give our minds the, the clarity to understand and to embrace that seed of truth that you desire to plant in us. And God, we pray, Lord, that much fruit would come. God, that we would be faithful in the little and that you then would produce much and all for your glory. God, that others may see the beauty of who you are. God, that we may embrace and experience the beauty of who you are in greater ways. God, just have your way. 
We pray this in the precious, matchless, eternal name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. So I have the privilege now to uh, do a brief review of uh, the book of Philippians. Again, this is where we've been for the last six weeks. I'm going to try to just do a quick look back in order to lay the groundwork for what we're going to be sharing uh, today from Philippians chapter 4. So as we've uh, been learning, the theme of the book of Philippians is joy. The theme is joy. And the, the working definition that we've been, um, been carrying throughout this entire series is on the screen. It says that joy in Christ consists of the deep and abiding confidence that all is well, regardless of circumstance and difficulty. Let me just read that part again. Joy in Christ consists of the deep and abiding confidence that all is well, regardless of circumstance and difficulty. Now, I don't know about you, but like even when we started this, I'm thinking, okay, what circumstances and difficulties are we going to face this series? <laughs> because it happens that the enemy, when God is, is presenting his truth to his people, the enemy is going to try and fight it. So, so in this, the course of these weeks, I've watched as the enemy has thrown in some horrific attacks against families, against individuals. This definition holds true. That joy in Christ consists of a deep and abiding confidence, a deep and abiding, it doesn't leave us, that all is well, regardless. We just embrace that all is well, regardless of whatever we may, may be going through. That joy in God brings us to this deep and abiding confidence. Biblical joy is always related to God and belongs only to those who are in Christ. It's the permanent possession of every believer. That if you're trying to have the joy that Scripture shares with us, but you're not in Christ, you can't have it. Now, it's available for you, but it has to, you have to be in Christ. Christ is our joy. And as we possess Him, as we have Him living within us, then, then this, is, this is something that, that we have with us for the rest of our lives. But it requires us to have Him living inside of us. And He's desiring to live inside of you. He's desiring to give you all that He is. Jesus, right at the end of his life, was speaking to his disciples, and he said this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this. So he's telling us to remain in his love. The key to that is obeying his commandments, walking in his way. So he said, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be complete. This isn't joy that we're trying to conjure up. This is joy that is resonant within us in the person of Jesus Christ. My joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. It may be full. Now the thing is that so many times when we think about joy, we think about laughter and being cheerful and all that. You know, we haven't discussed that at all in this series. It's not even in the definition. Joy is that abiding confidence that all is well. So joy can coexist with sorrow. Joy can coexist with sadness. When we're going through difficult times, as, as Pastor Jeff has often said, when you, when you cut us, we bleed. And there are times that we're in deep sorrow and deep sadness, but it doesn't mean that our joy needs to leave. In fact, the joy of, of the Lord can flow through beautifully in those times in the midst of tears. So Christ has promised joy in, in and through himself. But once you remember the, the background of this letter, so Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. Um, this is a church that, that he established on a second missionary journey about 10 years prior to the writing of the letter. He went back to Philippi uh, on his second missionary journey. He visited there twice. But there are people that were very, as a church that specifically was very near and dear to his heart. You can hear it throughout this letter, just the love relationship that exists between uh, Paul and this church. But throughout this letter, he's, there's two primary things. One is the letter of thanksgiving. The Philippian church had sent some gifts, some, some provisions that he needed. And he's saying thank you. But the other thing is that he's encouraged them towards joy. As we said, that's the thread throughout this letter. He's encouraging them toward joy. He's trying to, to teach them and build them up. It's not a letter of correction. There's a few issues that he addresses, but they're minimal. He's encouraging them in, in the way of joy. But remember that Paul is penning this letter from a Roman prison. That he's chained to guards. He's under house arrest. He doesn't know what his outcome is going to be. And he's saying, joy in the Lord. He's teaching and encouraging joy in the Lord. 
And he says, too, that the Philippians are going through similar hardships. So they're, they're displaying that regardless of circumstance, joy is ours in Christ. So Paul communicates that throughout this letter that joy is based on our thinking. It's on the mindset that we have. Now, it's not just on mindset, okay? The, the thinking that we have is, is key to this, but it's Christ in and through it all that is the, of, of supreme importance. Warren Wiersbe said this, we must cultivate the right kind of mind. If outlook determines outcome, then the attitude of mind that we cultivate will, be, will determine your joy or your lack of it. In the four chapters of Philippians, Paul describes four attitudes of mind that will produce joy in spite of those joy stealers that can come against us, in spite of circumstances, people, things, and these things that we worry about. So there's three key words in Philippians. We've already said that joy is one. Joy, rejoicing, and gladness is mentioned uh, 19 times. Uh, yeah, 19 times in the book of Philippians. Another key word throughout Philippians is mind, as we were talking about. It has to do with the, our thinking, with the state of our mind. Our, the things related to our mind are mentioned 16 times. So joy is 19. Thinking or mind, related to the mind, is 16. Jesus is over 40 times that Christ is, Christ is spoken of here. This is in 104 verses. So packed in all this, again, it's Christ-centered. It's, it's who Christ is, is in the midst, in the middle, and all through, through it. But it has to do with our thinking. And, and again, this will produce an outcome of joy. So as we talked about, as I've just said, throughout the, the book, it's talking about our minds. So if you want to break up the, the, the book, and this has happened in a number of the messages that have been shared, it's referenced to this, is that there are four minds that, that Paul is encouraging us to have in order to have joy. In the first chapter, he talks about the single mind. Now, I'm going to read some verses from each chapter, but I encourage you to just take time and read through and look, look at each chapter in light of, of what's listed here uh, because you're going to see it strongly throughout. Um, in fact, you can take about 15 minutes and read through the entire book very easily. I'm, I'm not a fast reader. I like to go slow and concentrate and soak in, but about 15 minutes you can read all four chapters. But the first chapter is going to be focusing on having a single mind. In verses 20 and 21 of chapter 1, it says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's a single mind. It's all about Christ, focused on Christ, life in Christ. It's all for him. Whether I live or whether I die, it's Christ. The second chapter talks about a submissive mind. And this is serving one another and, and caring for one another, following Christ's example. And in chapter 2, beginning with verse, verse 5, Paul writes this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then the third chapter is talking about the spiritual mind. We're not of this earth. Boy, that's hard to just let that sink in, isn't it? Because this is what we see. This is what we feel. Um, this is uh, how we uh, connect with life. It's through what's around us. But we're not of here. We're spiritual beings that are created for eternity. And Paul, in, in chapter 3, I mean, he, he puts that focus. Our goal is Jesus. Our goal is eternity with him. So beginning at verse 10, chapter 3, he says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Incredible words from Paul. Not that I have already attained this. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but... One thing I do, I want you to grab this again. I know you've heard it. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward, forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize 
which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There's a spiritual mind. And I love the next verse. I'll paraphrase it quickly because I love it. It, it. it says basically, if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. You'll mature and you'll get it. Okay? <laughs> um, and so, I mean, he has such confidence. This is what life is about. It's about pressing on towards, towards Christ. So we have these, these first three chapters. Again, it's the single mind. It's the submissive mind. It's, it, it's the uh, spiritual mind. And that leads us into chapter four, which is the secure mind. And in the secure mind, uh, last week, Pastor Jeff spoke uh, specifically from, in concerning worry. And he talked uh, from uh, verses 4 down through, uh, down through 8. But I want you to, to embrace this. I know he started with verse 4 was at the beginning of the series. I'm not going to sing the song. You'll be glad. But uh, in verse 4, it's rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's let your gentleness be known to all for the Lord is near. But then he moves into verse 6 and he says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. What's the process to avoid that? In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So when we're looking at chapter 4, we're looking at the secure mind. And the first point in that is what Pastor Jeff presented last week. It's peace. That in Christ, in the joy that he provides, we have peace. A peace that passes all understanding. Many of us have experienced that. Some of us are sitting in it right now. Because situations around you don't say peace, but your heart says, I'm at peace. You're walking in the way of the Lord. You're seeking Him. You're following after His design for your life. So I'm going to go on now, and if you want to follow along, I'm going to have the, um, the scriptures on the screen, but you're more than welcome uh, to, to read along in your Bible, whether you have your Bible or your phone or uh, however you're reading. Uh, but I'm going to read through the rest of chapter 4, beginning of verse 10 and going down through uh, 23. Paul says this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment. I have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that, he, that you sent, they are fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Then in his final greetings, beginning with verse 21, he says this, Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So Paul is wrapping up this beautiful letter. And he's building, just as, as we just relayed the foundation of what he has shared and what he has taught throughout this letter, he now, he now wraps it up with, with this great passage. There are two verses that uh, may have sounded familiar to you when we read the passage. These are verses that uh, can be very common, uh, even within our culture. Sometimes you, you hear it mentioned. But especially in the community of faith, these verses, verses 13 and 19, uh, really kind of jump out at us. Verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And verse 19, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So uh, as we looked at chapter 4 already, we said that last, last week we looked at the secure mind, and we looked at how peace is foundational to it. Uh, so we talked again the peace of God that passes all understanding. In verses 13 and 19, there are two other key factors in the, uh, in the secure mind, and it's power and provision. So again, in the, in the first part of the chapter, uh, Paul talked about peace. In this section, this wrapping up, he's talking about power, and he's talking about provision. 
So <clears throat> when we looked at last week, we were looking at the issue of worrying. Today we're looking at the issue of wanting, of things that we want. We, in the teaching, we, we looked at worrying. We said we're not to worry. But what, what Paul's going to do in this section, he's not saying that we're not to want. But what he's saying is that we are to want the right thing. Above and beyond all, we are to want Jesus. And he's going to roll this out in such, such beautiful ways. So, but one of the things, again, I said to these are common scriptures that we, that we often hear, maybe we've even quoted, and they're incredible words of, um, of encouragement. But I want to look at them in their context. Because although they apply, I'm sure, in the ways that they've been quoted and that we've been used, there's some specific ways as we focus on the context that I think are going to show us uh, some great, great truths this morning. Philippians 4.13, again, is a very well-known verse. And one of the pictures I had was um, the head of Tim, Tim Tebow. When he was playing for the University of Florida, he took the, the eye black and he would write scriptures across them. Philippians 4.13 is one of the scriptures I remember seeing on that eye black. Uh, he, used, um, he used that as a witnessing tool. When he had John 3.16, even though it's seen all the time at football games, um, when he had it on his eye black, within 24 hours, there were over 90 million hits on Google looking up John 3.16 and Tim Tebow. Um, so this verse, 4.13, Tim Tebow has helped to spread. Uh, and, it's, and it's an incredible verse because there's some beautiful application in the way that it's, it's, uh, it's applied to his life. But Philippians 4.13, it's a power verse. It's saying that absolutely nothing is impossible with God. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It says that, that it, it, can be, it can be applied to every area of our lives, all things, and it's not based on my strength, it's based on his. Not on my power, but on his power. Um, and it's often ap applied to great feats. When we think about, you know, again, doing something incredible, is this great thing in front of us. It's like the encouraging word is this cheer right here. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Great feats. But as I said earlier, it's about the seed. Do you realize how great a feat that it is when we look at this and we make application to our lives and we come to this place where all is well, that we're content in every circumstance. Do you realize what a great feat that is that God is accomplishing in us through that? It is amazing. It's absolutely incredible. It's, it's beyond human capacity apart from Christ. So I want you to be looking again at how um, God is desiring to, to, again, let this speak into your life. But the power here is to be content in every circumstance. The power, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, is to be content in every circumstance. So again, in verse 10, Paul, Paul says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Again, beginning with verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, for some of you, I may have, I don't think I've tripped up. I've been extra careful in, in the way I've said. I've been trying to read the text as I've presented on the screen uh, because I know there's different translations. And uh, many times you may have heard the verse saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's true, okay? And when you look at different translations, again, some words are going to be changed. It's not changing the meaning. But one thing I like about this is that in, in the NIV, it says, I can do all this. It's actually pointing back to what was before it, okay? It's pointing back to what, what was just stated, and that's the context that we want to look at here. So in verse 10, as I said, Paul rejoiced, and he was rejoicing in an outward, outward situation. He was rejoicing in that the Philippians had sent things that helped him in his need. So it's not that he was ignoring their sacrifice. It wasn't, he wasn't being disconsidered. In fact, he was, it was very appropriate that he said, thank you for sending what you did to me. That means a lot to me. It shows that you care, and it has helped my situation. Yes, I'm still in prison. I'm still chained to a guard, but you've helped my situation. So he's not ignoring the change in the situation. But what he uses, he uses this opportunity to lead into his perspective on life. That I really didn't have a need. Because I've learned to be okay with whatever the situation. Again, he's not minimizing the gift. He's thankful. But he's saying, you know, bottom line is, it's not about this external stuff. He's talking about the spiritual mind that we talked about in chapter 3. 
And he says this, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. There are some things that, um, that I think we really need to glean from this. One is that Paul learned things. I don't want, you know, a lot of times when I look at the apostle Paul, I mean, like, super apostle. I mean, this guy's got it all. And you think it was when, you know, he was knocked off the donkey. You know, we've talked about that at his conversion that he got it all. He was set. No. I mean, that was his point of turning. That's when he saw Christ. Christ was revealed to him. But through the situations of life, Paul learned to learn. Okay? He allowed the situations of life to teach him. This wasn't something that just came to him, again, in a divine zap. But his, the situations of life are the things that, that he allowed God to use to shape him. So think about some of the situations in his life. I'm not going to go back and go through, go through all the details, but you can read, the, again, the horrific things that Paul went through. The beatings, the, you know, being um, rejected by so many people. Even, you know, earlier in this book, he's talking about people that are preaching Christ, and they're basically doing it to get at me. They're doing it with the wrong motives. So how does he handle it? He says, Christ is being proclaimed. I'm okay with that. It's not that I want things that are untrue to go out, but God can take the truth that's being shared and bring good out. So he's taken every situation, the beatings, the torturings, all that he's gone through, facing death, being left for dead, they're, learn, they're learning opportunities. They're things that he takes then. He says, okay, God, how do you want to shape me in this? And how did he let God shape him in this? I've learned to be content. In any and every circumstance, any and every situation. So in all those situations, he had choices. This situation, do I want to become bitter or do I want to become better? Do I want to hold on to the negative of what's happening to me or do I want to see the goodness of God revealed in this situation? It's the learning process. And you and I are faced with this every day. Everything that we're facing in life, it's a choice. How do I want to respond to this? Boy, we would do well to, as Paul, use it as a learning situation. When you're starting to feel like discontent, it's like, okay, learning opportunity. Paul learned through the difficult circumstances of life, how can I learn right now to be content in this situation? This is something that the Philippians witnessed firsthand. Because the first time that Paul came to uh, the church in Philippi, it wasn't a church. Paul founded that church on his first missionary journey. He went, Paul was wanting to minister, go to minister with others that were with him in another area, and the Spirit of God said, no, you're not going there. But in a dream, he had a vision of a man calling out. And that's what led him to the city of Philippi. And in that city of Philippi, Lydia became a, a convert to Christ. In Acts chapter 16, you can read the story. And people were coming to Christ, but there was this... Um, young servant girl, a slave, who was following him, was proclaiming things that were truth, but it was from a demonic presence. It was a spirit that was not of God. Paul cast out that spirit, and as a result of it, he and Silas got beaten and thrown into prison. This is all in Philippi. But it was at that night, Paul, what did he do? This is 10 years earlier. What did he do? I've learned in every circumstance to be content. He and Silas, it's midnight. Time to praise God. Beaten and in prison. They began to sing praises, lift prayers to God. What happened? An earthquake came. Everybody was broken free and nobody left. There, there's two miracles there. <laughs> but, but, I mean, so there was incredible deliverance. But Paul was going through these circumstances. As a result of it, the jailer came to Christ, but they needed to leave the area. They went on to, the, to uh, Thessalonica, I believe was the next, and then on to Berea. But, but the thing is, is that Paul was demonstrating this. You, you can see it when I was here, Philippians. Do you remember that? That first trip, what happened? So I did what God told me to do, and I got in trouble for it. Has that ever happened in your life? You follow what Jesus is calling you to do, and it doesn't work out so well. It doesn't mean that you heard wrong. God sometimes leads us to places that are not easy. Following in the way that he would have us to go can lead to difficult places. And, you know, this is a misunderstanding that embraces American Christianity so strong. That when I come to Christ and do what he says, it's all smooth sailing. That is nowhere in Scripture. It's not. Jesus said, you know, I've suffered. You think you're better than me? <laughs> you know? But, that, but that's a mentality that we embrace and we're wrong. We can do exactly what, what God calls us to do and find incredible struggle and find incredible pain. What do we do in the midst of it? 
Paul said, be content. Be content. How do I do that? I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. That's the power verse right there. That's the incredible miracle that in these situations, I can do this through Christ. It's not within me. I am incapable in and of myself. So what is contentment? It's very similar to joy. I think the same definition literally for joy we could apply to contentment as a deep and abiding confidence that all is well regardless of circumstances or difficulty. It's that it's okay. Inside, it's okay. All around me, hell may be breaking loose. But inside, I'm okay. I really am. It's not a false, it's not a denial of circumstances. It's actually a full picture and understanding of the circumstances, but yet an embrace of Christ in the midst of it. The Stoics thought that contentment was coming to a place where nothing mattered. They basically said, just keep killing your wanting, keep killing your emotions until you feel nothing. And it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what happens to you or to your loved ones. Basically, you get to the place where I don't care. That's how the Stoics were defining uh, contentment. But God has a totally different way of doing it. God has a way of actually allowing us to be fully present in our emotions and in, in the situation and still find a place of completeness in Christ. So the word contentment, if you go back to the root word, it actually means to contain. If you want, it, the words are very similar. But con- contentment actually words means to contain, which means that I have within myself, contained within me, is what I need. Now, apart from Christ, it's really not true. I don't have within me all that I need. But when Christ is in me, the hope of glory, contentment. Christ is contained within me. When you're in Christ and you've come to relationship with God through the work of the cross and and his death and resurrection, Christ is in you. So contained within you is the power and the presence of God Almighty. Your body is a temple, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So you can be content because he is contained within you. This is not self-sufficiency, it's God's sufficiency. He is enough. In fact, he is more than enough. And you can do this through Christ who gives you strength. So contentment is this incredible, incredibly powerful thing. But we need to understand that the other side is very powerful too. Discontentment is extremely powerful. And I want to look at that briefly uh, because unfortunately we have a propensity toward discontentment. In fact, as I was thinking, as I was preparing on this, if there's one word, and I'm sure that there's others, but if there was one word that, that you could use to describe our society, I think it's discontent. I really think it's discontent. Now, again, I'm sure there's others, but this seems to fit literally like a glove because everything in our society, our media, our commerce, our habits, our government, there's always a root of discontentment. Marketing's based on convincing you that whatever you have is not what you need. Discontentment. Discontentment. It's everywhere. Um, I thought about, you know, like the ads. It's like, if you don't have this, you're not living, right? It's a car, a motorcycle, a boat, a phone, a vacation, a food. It's, it's you know, an activity, a relationship that if society's constantly saying, you need this, you need it. Discontent, discontent, it racks up the money, (laughs) okay? It affects what we do so much. It affects what we buy. It affects how we vote. It affects how we spend our time. It affects the relationships that we choose to remain in or leave. Discontentment is so powerful. But I want to remind you, God is more powerful. That I can find contentment through Christ who gives me strength. But with a society, it's like this hunger that can never be filled. It's a pit that you can keep shoveling in, but it's never going to fill up. You're, you're hungry, but you feed it, and you just get hungrier. I mean, isn't that what happens with our society? Um, and confession, okay? I read on Bible Gateway a lot. I like to just read there. It's easier to do searches for me, and um, it's nothing wrong with it flipping the pages, but, but Bible Gateway is great, except it has ads on the side, okay? Now, those ads... Feed your discontentment specifically because your computer knows what you were looking up, okay? So while you're trying to read the Word of God, these ads are like scrolling past you. So for me, you know, I'm literally reading about contentment in Christ, and I'm seeing the Subaru Outback on the side that's being advertised, you know? Um, And 
I'm usually really good at it. Like, I can just ignore those ads, or I'll zoom in the screen so that those ads fall off the side, you know, but I clicked on that Subaru Outback. I just want curious. So I was just, so, so I'm reading about contentment, and I'm in the midst of a battle on my computer screen, and I chose the Outback, okay? Didn't buy it, but I looked, okay? So, but it, but it pulled me away. Now, here's the thing is that our contentment and discontentment can coexist. So I have a Subaru Outback right now. Uh, Tuesday will be four years. I, I remember birthdays. Okay, four years ago, we bought this Outback. Now, <laughs> yeah, really, honestly. Now, it was 10 years old when we got it. It was in great conditions, low mileage. Um, it's, it's been a good car, so it's 14 years old. Now, I really like the car. I really do. It's been a good car for me. I'm content with it, but I'm still looking at Outbacks, okay? So there's this discontent, because I'm always, even though I have, it's like I'm always looking, you know? And, you know, it's because I found some good deals on, on Craigslist, okay? So I check Craigslist a lot. Even though I'm not going to buy, I'm just looking. So I'm feeding my discontentment, right? It's been 28 years since I sold my last motorcycle, okay? So um, uh, I got married, and, and Joelle just, she didn't like to ride, and she was really concerned safety, not for how I ride, but how people drive around me. So, I mean, even 28 years ago, I mean, she was concerned for that. She really wanted to keep her husband, not lose him in some way to a motorcycle, okay? So I sold my motorcycle 28 years ago. Do you realize what I'm still looking up on Craigslist? I can tell you some good bikes for sale right now. Um, but it's that discontentment, and we feed it. And the thing is, is that, like, you know, I kind of say, well, it's okay. I'm just looking, right? What is it in your life that maybe you're using that same excuse? I'm investing my look and my time. And I'm not throwing stones at you. I'm, I'm putting my, some of my issues right out here. You know, am I feeding what, actually who, really gives me contentment. That doesn't mean that things aren't good. Yesterday, I wanted to go kayaking yesterday morning. I haven't been kayaking in weeks, and that's, that's a place of great contentment for me. I do lake kayaking, and it's just nice to go out and paddle, to sit. I mean, you can pray, you can watch fish, you can do it. I, I like it. There's contentment there. There's good things in life that can bring contentment. But like, so I really, like I said, it's been weeks since I've been out. Yesterday morning, perfect weather. I really felt convicted not to go. I felt like I needed to just sit in the Word and, and spend more time in preparation for today. And you know what? I miss not being on the kayak, but what I got was better. You know, and this isn't against kayaking. God uses that kayak to give me reading time and to give quiet time with God and even to give fellowship and, and conversation. It's not about that. But are we feeding discontentments in a way that are pulling us away from the true contentment, which is Christ? That's what God's calling us to. He's just saying, come to me. I love you. I really do. Pastor Jeff was saying, God is good. We need to be living that. We need to be praying that. We, we need to be resting in that. He really wants what's, what's best for us. came across this, this statement. I want, want to hear this. I actually want you to hear it twice. Um, I am not satisfied with what I if I'm not satisfied with what I have, I'll never be satisfied with what I want. Let that sink in a little bit. If I'm not satisfied with what I have, I'll never be satisfied with what I want. The only place that that is not true is if it's Christ. If you're without Christ today, you're not satisfied. There's a reason for that. He created you to know him. He created you to be in relationship with him. If you're not satisfied because you don't have Christ, that is the one thing that you can pursue. You will find more than complete satisfaction in the person of Christ. But besides that, if I'm not satisfied with what I have, I'm not going to be satisfied with what I want. Jim Carrey, the great theologian. No. <laughs> I've quoted him before. Um, worth about $150 million dollars. Pretty rich comedian in the top, top list as far as uh, worth the most. One of his quotes that has been extremely illuminating to me is this. Jim Carrey said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. It's truth. It's not the answer. The world says it is. It's not the answer. Look again at Paul's words. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him that gives me strength in every situation. 
And Paul had the extremes of situations. He was taken to the third heaven. He saw things that are inexpressible by human words. In the same chapter, he's saying, I have a thorn in the flesh that will not leave. We learn in every situation, the highest of highs, the lowest of lows, I can be content. I'm not going to read it now, but you can look at First, First Timothy, another letter written by Paul, chapter 6, beginning with verse 6, and he says this, godliness with contentment is great gain. And then read down through the passage. He's saying the things of this world are going to pass. In fact, they can pull you down when you're heading in a good direction if it becomes your idol, if it becomes what you seek. Godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6, beginning with verse 6. Rich young ruler that came to Christ is recorded in all three synoptic gospels. He comes to Christ and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, have you kept the commandments? He said, yes, yeah. So, so he confirms that he's following the, the law of God. But what does Jesus say to him? Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. This is what you lack. It's right here. Jesus, the Son of God, speaking truth to him. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. What is enough for a person with everything? The next dollar. What is, it's never enough. If our security is going to be in the things of this world, we're insecure. Our security has to be in finding contentment in Christ. Proverbs 30, the writer says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may, have, may become poor and steal and, and so dishonor the name of my God. Learning to live with much or little needs to be a central priority of our lives. My faith is not based on the circumstances, what I possess, what I have, physically, materially, physically, you know, in relationally. If my faith rests in that, my faith is going to be up and down. It's not single-minded. But God's giving us a better way. He's leading us to the way of contentment. You know, and there's this internal battle because it's not only the contentment with what we have, but there's this idea that we deserve things. There's a really strong uh, sentiment of entitlement throughout our society. It's not just throughout our society. We're part of that society. I can tell you I went through an internal, internal battle in my mind. Talk about being in the mind where there's a situation where I felt something should be different. I'm deserving of this. And I've earned it. I've done the right things. This is, this is the way it should be. But you know what happens? The Holy Spirit starts to say, content, content. Even though you, you can make the argument and you can justify your case, but are you content? And by the grace of God in my mind, contentment won. But do you know why? Because I was going to be speaking on it this, this morning. <laughs> Seriously. It pushed me to, to a better decision than what I might have made otherwise. Because I wanted to share about contentment. And I want to be true to the word. That helped me. Can I say that in the last two weeks I've done everything out of contentment? No. But you know what? It's that seed. It's that little step forward. And, and I praise God that God used even this situation of me teaching to help move me forward in contentment. And not try to defend what I feel I'm entitled to. Christ is not a stop of wanting. Okay, when we talk about, about, about uh, uh, being content, but wanting more of Jesus becomes what he gives us. He puts a hunger within us for more of him. It's not that I stop wanting, it's, it's that, I, that I want more of he who is the only true satisfaction. So I'm just going to hit, hit on this verse, and I wish I had a little bit more time, but uh, I wanted to make sure that we focused on contentment because I really feel it's key to us. But I also want to focus on this. This verse says that in verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And in this verse, it's, there's great provision. It's showing the provision of God. Uh, in fact, this is the statement that I have above it, provision. Giving provides security in God. And that statement comes from the context of this verse. The context, beginning with verse 14, it says, It was good of you to share my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire, listen to this, what Paul says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. 
If I have, received full, I have received full payment and have more than enough, I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. This verse is spoken in the context of giving. That Paul could share this with him and say, you know what? You've given to me. You've sacrificed for me. And it's not even that I really need it. But you know what? I'm so thankful that you gave to me because it blesses you. I mean, really, that's what he's saying. It's not about me having more. It's about you being blessed because you gave as an act of worship. And you know what? It pleased the Lord. Oh, it was sweet. This sacrifice you're giving was a sweet sacrifice to the Lord. It was pleasing to him. And that's what he was desiring. That they experienced the blessing of God and and. Based on their giving, and I'm going to be very careful here. Based on their giving, I'm going to say it because it's, this is all connected. With their giving, it says, and my God. It connects. He's talking about the giving and celebrating their giving. And he says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. It's not that the giving earned them something. Okay? And we need to be careful with that because we can give and say, you know, hey, I've deposited this dollar, 100 bucks coming back, you know? And I mean, I know there's teachings about that. The reality is that God does bless giving, but yet he blesses us in a way that it gives us a security in his provision. Is that as I give, it's a measure of my faith, right? Am I trusting God? I'm going to entrust this to him. He's placed this on my heart to give. I'm going to entrust this to him. And it's not saying, okay, so I can get, 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 get. That's not contentment. But I can trust to him. I can give knowing that he will provide my needs. And, and Paul was saying, you've been faithful to give to me. God's going to supply your needs. Because the Philippian church was in need too. They gave out of their need. They were being persecuted as well. They were suffering even as Paul was. But yet there's a confidence that comes. That giving provides security in God. Now, again, it's, it's, what he says is that my God, okay, the God who is mine, will supply all your needs not your greeds, will supply all your needs according to his riches. The provision is limitless. It's limitless. And if we, if we relegate it to just financial provision, we are shortchanging God so much. Now, we need money. Don't get me wrong. God will provide your needs. But you need to be faithful because as you sow, you're going to reap. That, that's the principle of Scripture. It's throughout Scripture. In Proverbs 11, verse 24, it says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And then I, I hope that you'll take time to read 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul's giving instruction to the Corinthian church about giving. And he's saying that, you know, that, that whoever sows sparingly is going to reap sparingly. It's, it's a principle. Okay? Naturally as well as supernaturally. But he's saying, I don't want you to give because you feel forced. I want you to give because you want to. God loves a cheerful giver. It becomes worship. It becomes, it becomes that sacrifice that God receives. Not because he needs the money. God doesn't need it. But it becomes a blessing to you, even as Paul said, the Philippians, you're going to be blessed. God's going to provide all that you need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You can have confidence in being secure in God's provision. William Barclay said this, no gift ever made man the poorer. He who gives makes himself richer, for his own gift opens to him the gifts of God. So will we trust him? Will we trust our God in the situations where we find ourselves? Will we lean on him? Will we take our eyes off the circumstances? Better yet, look wide, eyes wide open to the circumstances. And have your eyes wide open to God. Don't deny what's around you. Don't deny what you're going through. Acknowledge it. And then acknowledge the faithfulness of God. That in Him, all things are possible. That in Him, you can have contentment in your situation, in your circumstances. Whatever they are. When I say that statement, I'm almost shuddering. Because I'm thinking of the circumstances that that are represented just in this room. But it's truth. In Him, you can have contentment. Nothing's impossible with God. You can do all this. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You need provision, trust him. It's in the giving and trusting God that we find his provision. So many times we withheld because we thought that we need to provide the answer. 
It's in him. So do you desire joy? Do you desire contentment? It's in Christ. It's in the person of Christ. And God is calling us through this book to the Philippians to have a single mind focused on him, to have a submissive mind, even as Christ submitted himself, gave himself on the cross. We are to do that, care for one another. We have a spiritual mind. We live beyond this place. We live eternal-minded. And we can be secure. God wants us to be secure with a peace that passes all understanding, with a power that in him all things are possible and knowing that he will provide according to his riches and glory. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your word. God, that is life, is light. God, we thank you that you are present here right now. And you not are about to, you have already planted seeds. You have planted seeds, God, in our hearts, in our minds. God, I just ask that now that you would Help us to surrender to you. Whatever you've called us to surrender, help us to obey whatever, whatever you've called us to obey. God, help us to take that step, even that small step, in the direction that you would have us to go. Lord, that these truths would become more than what we've read on a page or on a screen. But God, that these truths would become life to us, become part of our lives. God, I pray that not one of us, Lord, would despise the small thing, would minimize that, that small step but God, may we in faith just step toward you. God, I thank you that you know every circumstance in this room. God, you know the one that right now is even battling whether or not to believe, to trust you. But God, I thank you to all of us that you are calling. You're saying, come to me. Come to me and find life. Come to me and find forgiveness. Come to me and find healing. Come to me and find joy. Come to me and find contentment. Come to me and find provision and peace. Come to me and find me. God, I thank you that you are all these and so much more. You love us with a love that goes beyond our comprehension. Lead us, God, now to worship you with our obedience. We love you. God, we love you only because you first loved us. Now we lift ourselves before you and pray, God, continue to minister and to touch our lives. In Jesus' name. And we're going to close the service by going to the Lord's table together in just a few moments. I want to just share a scripture before we do this, but the trays are going to come around and I'm just going to ask that you take the two cups. They're stacked. If you would take both and then hold them. But before we begin serving the elements, I just I want you to, to listen to this. Is that in Hebrews, it says this, For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. You are that joy. You are the joy. He endured the cross. And in him we find joy. So as you take the, the elements, I'm just going to ask again that you would hold them and just allow God to speak to your heart. Allow him to show you how much he loves you. Allow him to bring to light the life that he is offering you through his death and through his resurrection.